Welcome to Silicon Valley Bite Size, an update on the technology sector from the Alliance Technology Trust. ATT allows investors to take exposure to quoted technology companies across the globe with the aim of achieving long-term capital growth. Since 2007, the trust has been managed by a highly experienced team based in San Francisco. That means they're embedded in Silicon Valley, where many of the world's key technology companies are headquartered. For our latest episode of Bite Size, I'm joined by Walter Price, fund manager of the trust, to talk us through the key developments in the technology sector and share his insights. Hi, Walter. Hi, Charlie. It's been a busy time for the sector, notably with the fourth quarter earnings season. Uh, can you recap on some of the forecasts and results and draw out some of the key themes? Well, I think that uh, the technology season and the fourth quarter has been a kind of a tale of two subsectors in technology. Uh, uh, the companies that are uh, working uh, in the cloud and selling software and uh, solutions to customers have had uh, generally very good quarters, exceeding expectations, and talking about uh, a capping off a very good year. And uh, the components companies and the companies that sell equipment into uh, China uh, have been talking about a uh, inventory correction at best and a uh, uh, decline in demand at worst, as uh, you've seen uh, uh, companies reducing inventory, reducing prices, and uh, obviously demand has been weak. So uh, those companies, uh, as they've uh, gone through their forecasts, uh, many of them have said, you know, it looks like the worst is coming in the first or second quarter, and we think the second half of uh, next year will be good. Uh, the companies that have had very good years in the software and the internet side have said, oh, uh, you know, we're being more conservative in our forecasts. Uh, we had a great year last year. It was a great year for tech spending. Uh, uh, we're being a little bit more uh, cautious about uh, 2019 because uh, uh, there are different cross currents and economies are slowing and outside of the U.S. and to some extent in the U.S. And so... Uh, you know, they've generally forecast a little lower growth, but uh, still very strong growth uh, in 2019. Okay. And have you made any sort of notable adjustments in the portfolio as a, as a result? Uh, you know, we had cut back our semiconductor holdings dramatically uh, uh, in the early part of 2018. And what we've done is we've started to uh, started to increase those, but we've been focused on uh, kind of the growth subsectors in uh, semiconductors, the the power semiconductor area, and some of the um, some of the broadly used uh, semiconductors like microcontrollers, where we think there's not as much of an overhang from Bitcoin and uh, inventory buildup uh, as there as there is in uh, memory, for example. So, uh, you know, we think that. Uh, uh, in some sense, investors are anticipating this V-shaped recovery, uh, and we're not sure it's going to be as sharp a V as, as the companies are hoping for. So uh, we've increased our weightings, but uh, uh, maybe not to the extent that we could if we really thought it was a V. And then on the software side, we've, you know, we've, we've continued to keep a large position there, and that's a big, big, uh, big part of our fund. Okay. Um- You've actually um, anticipated my next question, which was how you're feeling about um, the remainder of the year. Um, I mean, how do you see the economic landscape and a potential slowdown um, 
as, as affecting earnings? You know, I was a lot more worried about a recession and a potential slowdown in 2019 um, in the second half of 2018, uh, like most people, I think. And uh, now that we've had a slowdown and we've we've had the Fed go on pause, I, I guess I'm a lot less worried about uh, the second half of 2019. I, I think it's still going to be uh, maybe a little bit slower growth than a V would imply, but... Um, and then when we get to 2020, I'm actually uh, I'm actually pretty uh, optimistic about 2020 because I think a lot of the slowdown that we've seen in the sector is because people are trying to figure out where to put their next plant. Uh, uh, you know, the default was put it in China. It's cheaper. It's faster. Uh, and I think uh, the tariff situation and the rhetoric around the deficit has, has led people to think, well, we're gonna uh, we're gonna rethink that location. And uh, you know, I think they've been going through the studies of Vietnam or Taiwan or Mexico, and uh, we'll start to see plants built in t 2020, and that will be an underlying demand uh, boost for the sector in that year. Okay, so it's it, it's not necessarily coming back to the U.S. It's 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 other. It's it's hard to manufacture uh, commodity products in the U.S. You, you know, uh, companies have have tried it and. Uh, you know, there, there are two problems. One is that the workforce uh, is not interested in doing uh, the, the millennial workforce, as we call them. They're not interested in sitting there for eight hours a day, uh, um, you know, doing uh, repetitive work. Uh, they want something more interesting. And so they tend to have very high turnover in these factories in Texas, uh, where, they've, where, where they've tried it, for example. Whereas uh, in uh, Mexico, it uh, seems to be uh, more interesting for people to to have that job, and uh, and there's much lower turnover, and so those plants have generally been good ones. And obviously, in other parts of Southeast Asia, uh, again, those plants and the and the people's tolerance for repetitive work seems to be okay. Uh, Twenty eighteen was very much the year when the shine came off the Fang stocks, um, which had actually been seen as a bit of a proxy for the tech sector you feel but um but I, my sense is that grouping them together no longer quite works and they're actually seeing quite disparate fortunes um i mean how do you feel about that does that grouping still work or, or are they you know on very different trajectories now well i think they're on different trajectories to answer your question uh directly i i think uh and they're all kind of going through these uh transitions uh as companies, and and um, they're at different levels of the transition. Apple, uh, for example, uh, you know they they raise prices on their phones, and they continued to have good growth uh, with very large price increases. But uh, that ended as consumers uh, stopped buying their phones uh, after the initial flurry of uh, of early adopters and. Uh, you know, in places like China, their their market share is being very negatively affected by that pricing strategy. So, you know, they're trying to pivot to a service business, uh, and that's about uh, twenty percent of their revenue. Uh, it's going to take a while, um, and meanwhile, their phones are not selling very well. So, uh, that one I think is one we've taken out of the portfolio for now. Um, you know, Facebook and Google, um, they've experienced a lot of uh, uh, 
increased costs associated with privacy and increased scrutiny associated with uh, the fact that they're, you know, very large media companies uh, dominating their markets. Um, and they've had to add a lot of expenses uh, to deal with uh, some of the regulations that have been put into place, like GDPR in Europe. And I think uh, in some case, uh, particularly for Facebook, which was the hardest hit and was a stock that we exited, I think it was a very difficult year in 2018. I think they're feeling better about their uh, future than they were a year ago when uh, you know they were worried that their business was under attack and that their advertisers might leave, and, and some of them vocally did. So now I think they feel like they've improved the platform. Uh, they have a really high growth uh, product in Instagram uh, that's growing over 100% a year that's kind of takes a different approach to uh, promotion and, and video. And so, uh, you know, we're more enthusiastic about Facebook than we were, and we bought, we bought that stock back. Uh, and then Netflix uh, and Amazon, um, you know, the, 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 the growth rate in <clears throat> revenues is slowing for both companies, but they're still uh, kind of dominating their category. And I, I think that the question is, is really a cost question for those companies. Amazon is indicated they're going to increase costs faster in 2019 and kind of catch up with spending. And that causes investors to be a little wary of uh, that company's um, near-term outlook. Long-term looks still looks great. And uh, Netflix, you know, they're spending more on content than anybody else and they're, they don't seem to be slowing it down. So um, again, I think the, the issue is uh, how much is enough and uh, what about these emerging competitors. So each of the companies has uh, some issues that they're dealing with. Uh, you know, we think uh, the media-related companies probably have uh, come through their most intense questioning period, and, and the others uh, uh, maybe have some work to do. Um, a big theme in the trust has been the digital revolution, um, but there seems to be a lot contained in that. Um, could you talk a little bit about the different ways to approach that theme? Well, we have uh, quite a large position and overweight position in enterprise software because we think that enterprise software uh, changes about every 20 years and uh, it has to be, the, the change has to be a better solution than what you had before, and it ha but it has to be equivalent, at least equivalent to what you had before. And I think it's taken a while for uh, the software as a service companies to get their products up to parity with uh, the way enterprises run. Uh, but the model is better, and uh, we're seeing companies adapt, uh, adapt their business to the model as opposed to customize software and build it themselves. And so I think uh, we think that this is the area that's going to add a lot of value for investors over the next decade, that uh, you're basically replacing your enterprise infrastructure for the world uh, with these new uh, software products. And um, we think there's uh, a great opportunity for these companies. Uh, you know, as you point out, uh, you know, they're being fueled by, by semiconductors under, underneath uh, the Amazon and the Google and the Microsoft cloud. There are uh, lots of, uh, you know, processors and uh, flash memory uh, that enable these companies to do what they do effectively and to share 
their infrastructure with many different users. And um, semiconductors have kind of enabled this revolution and they're, uh, and they're going to be beneficiaries of it. And, you know, I, I would say at the same time, uh, the semiconductor business has become much more capital intensive and, and there are fewer companies that can come up with the $10 billion they need for the next plant. And so uh, the industry is, uh, we think, seeing a secular improvement in volatility and a secular improvement in return on sales. Okay. Um, I wonder if we could look at more sort of macro considerations now. We've um, At the heart of the U.S. trade, U.S.-China trade problem, seems to be this conflict over intellectual property. Um, A, do you see any resolution or any breakthrough in the trade talks? Um, B, to what extent is this intellectual property problem likely to be resolved and does it hit the tech sector? Yeah, I, I think among the issues that uh, that are being negotiated by the by the uh, trade group, intellectual property is actually one of the easier ones uh, to uh, to deal with because, uh, you know, as you point out and everyone points out, the Chinese have stolen a lot of intellectual property. Uh, you know, you, you look at their planes and you look at uh, uh, some of their, uh, you know, their uh, communications gear and it looks uh, remarkably similar to other people's innovations. But... You know, they're at the point now where they're actually uh, leaders in some of these industries. Uh, and so uh, it's in their interest, actually, to build up the protection for intellectual property because, uh, you know, they have as much to lose as, uh, you know, Qualcomm or Ericsson or Nokia, uh, Huawei does, for example. So uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, that they haven't really protect, protected intellectual property in the past, so they're... They're working uh, on how to do that effectively, and they're they're cross currents uh, in China. But I, I think you know they're they're more interested in doing that because it's going to help them and help their uh, companies. Um, I mean, I think there are more difficult issues associated with uh, just China policy to benefit China companies. Uh, that's not something I see cha- being changed very easily. In general, I mean, if if we are looking at a slowdown uh, this year, potential global slowdown this year. Um, in the past, technology would be seen as a cyclical sector and very vulnerable to that slowdown. Um, I sense this isn't the case anymore, you know, that technology actually creates its own markets. Um, could you talk a bit about that and, and you know, any areas where, where you see these markets sort of being created? Well, I think, I think, a lot of technology is still cyclical. Just ask the semiconductor guys who are <laughs> reporting 30% earnings declines this quarter. I mean, it, it's there's still, you know, you're not going to change human behavior. If there's a shortage, people are going to accumulate inventory. And then when the, they don't think there's a shortage anymore, they're going to try to liquidate it and uh, and probably do it at a discount. So, uh, but the, sh- the, the cycles are getting shorter, as you point out, and uh, the companies are getting better at managing them. And so, um, you know, I think that the sector, uh, the cyclical parts of the sector are actually getting re-rated uh, upward. Uh, so, uh, and I do think, uh, you know, behind the technology sector is uh, this uh, need in the, in the world for uh, productivity improvement. And, 
you know, if you look at the demographics in the U.S., you look at the demographics in, in China, uh, uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, the workforce uh, supporting retiring people is actually shrinking. And so uh, you, you, there was a need for more jobs uh, than there are people to uh, satisfy them. And, you know, some of that might be satisfied by people retiring later. But, you know, fundamentally, uh, there's a shortage of labor and the, particularly a shortage of skilled labor, and it's only going to get worse. And so you have this underlying uh this underlying tailwind behind the technology sector for the next 10 years uh, that I think is, uh, is going to propel uh, a lot more automation and a lot more innovation. Uh, and, uh, you know, as, as investors in the sector, I think you have a nice tailwind behind your investment. And what specifically should investors be looking out for this year? I mean, what are the key things that are likely to drive the sector Kind of well, I think the way. uncertainty is, uh, you know, the China-U.S. Uh, tariff uh, situation. Uh, you know, I, I certainly don't think with business kind of slowing down around the world that it would be uh, a good um, situation for either China or the U.S. to have a, another 25% put on top of uh, trade. It's, it's not like Apple's going to move their production back to the U.S. to make iPhones, as we discussed uh, there, there, there's, there's no plant or no million employees uh, waiting around ready to be employed in the U.S., so it isn't going to happen. So all you do is just uh, take that money and uh, raise the price for the consumer and slow down the economy. So that that is something that, that we definitely want to get resolved and behind us. Uh, and I think uh, kind of looking out beyond uh, the China tariff situation, you'd like to see a measured increase in interest rates around the world. I think uh, the economy is really sensitive to interest rates. So, um, you know, I think you have to be careful as you raise them uh, not to go too fast or too far. Well, that seems a good place to wrap up. Thank you again for your insights, Walter, and thank you all for listening. <laughs>